This program is underwritten by Sustainable Settings, a nonprofit organization devoted to harvesting nature's intelligence in its research and demonstration of sustainable human settlement. Sustainable Settings is supported by volunteering, the sale of our organic farm products, and your tax-deductible donation. Call 970-963-6107 and visit us on the web at www.sustainablesettings.org. <laughs> Welcome to Grassroots TV. This is Brooke Levan. Uh, our show is called Sustainable Solutions, where we interview practical visionaries. And we have with us today Hugh Lovell, who's the author of Quantum Agriculture, uh, Biodynamics and Beyond. And uh, this is our second uh, show with him, but uh, Hugh is a biodynamic farmer and a multidisciplinary scientist and teacher of soil science, uh, biodynamics, and of course he travels the world as a consultant to help people recognize and to implement methods that honor the life uh, that we co-create with to create our food and health in our systems uh, and in ourselves. Welcome, Hugh, and great to have you here. Yeah, well, it's a it's an honor to be here. Yeah. So, um, we the previous episode we got into your history and and studies of not everything, but the, a bit of the diversity that you uh, have embraced uh, in many fields. And uh, this next half hour or so, I'd like to focus on biodynamics and how it works. Well, I think we have to understand that there's uh, two different like sides to the psychology of being a human. You've got left brain and right brain. And left brain is analytical, but right brain is holistic. So... Right brain puts things together and sees them as wholes. Synergistic? Or... It sees the synergy in yeah. nature. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, under, it just grasps that intuitively because it's the left brain that reasons it out. Mm -hmm. So the right brain just perceives it, sees it as it is, but can't explain why it is. You know, doesn't have it strung out in a sequence of, of different parts that you put together. You know, it's seeing the diesel engine work. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have any idea whether the injector pump or the oil pump or anything else is even in there. Mm -hmm. But if you were building a diesel engine, then you'd have to have the specifications on every part. And it would have to work together as a whole. But there's still, even in that, the seen and the unseen. Well, that's right. And, and we, we kind of ignore that. 
But quantum physics changed the perception of science by virtue of the fact that it proved unequivocally that the presence of the observer and his or her measuring instruments was a determining factor in the field of investigation. Actually, my ob observation of an experiment affected the experiment. Absolutely. Yeah. We, and, that mean, can that be translated to we kind of help create our own reality? Well, that's exactly where that goes, you know. We're creating the realities we inhabit. So when I'm in the field as a farmer, yep. vegetables, or I'm working with my herd of milk cows, my attitude or my intention actually matters. Oh, yeah, enormously. Because here's the rule of thumb. Manage for what you want. Don't try to manage what you don't want. Because where the attention, sorry, yeah, where the attention goes, the energy flows. Right on. So you put your intention on what you don't want and the energy will flow there. Right. And you will get, without any, like, relief, you will get what you don't want. So we are kind of tools in a way. We are conduits. We, uh, we, that, um, you're explaining something here that I know I work with on the land and with the life that I collaborate with, but how do you explain, we are pretty amazing creatures. Yeah, but. Our will. From the viewpoint of physics, everything is vibratory. Okay. Okay. So. You can look for the wave behavior of the phenomenon, and that's what you will see. And that's what we affect. Well, or it's possible to affect it, yes. Okay. Uh, but we can look for the particle behavior if we so choose. So in taking a soil test, I'm looking for the particle behavior. I have no idea about the wave behavior. Mm -hmm. The more I take it apart to look at how much phosphorus or, you know, calcium or whatever it might be is in the soil and measure that, the less I know about what's going on with those things. Because the amount, the, the amount of phosphorus in an earthworm in the soil is it's not that awful much compared to the expanse of soil. Now, the, the earthworm has collected this as a living organism, and this is what one of the great quantum physicists pointed out in his biophysics lectures. Erwin Schrodinger in 1948 pointed out that living organisms have the remarkable ability to concentrate a stream of order on themselves and thus to apparently to, to uh, violate the second law of thermodynamics. Which is? Which is that everything in the universe is running down to chaos. 
And that energy, however we might have concentrated it and been able to use it, that it bleeds away and becomes unavailable. And so the life force counters that. Is that what you're saying? Living organisms have the remarkable ability to concentrate a stream of order on themselves. Why doesn't a carrot growing rot in the soil? Yeah, why doesn't it break down? What's, what's this business that it grows and it could come, attain great size and make a whole bunch of seeds and spread the chemistry of just of its aroma? It's just got a great aroma and spread that all around and... Whereas I can put a, I can put a stick in the ground and it'll rot. It'll yep. degrade yep. to that law, according to that law. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but it's not a living organism. Right. That's right. So, so, so if life. it's a living organism, then it has this ability to concentrate a stream of order on itself. Now, that's quantum physics. That's key right there, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So, oh, well, how does it do this? What's going on? What are the principles involved? So would you say that the biodynamic preparations, which people don't know what that is, we have, should talk about, but that they are, and they're made up of different flowers, and, and they're made up of different substances and forces that help create order. Would you say oh, that right? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so absolutely. they help organize. Yeah, complexity yeah. is a measure of vitality in a living organism. Mm-hmm. So that complexity, and, and we don't even know how to measure it really all that well, but there are methods of measuring the complexity of things, and it's another way of putting it is measuring their general vitality. Do you have any images that you brought that might guide the viewers through? Boy, I've got uh, lots of images. Well <laughs> <laughs> I just wondered if you yeah, let's wanted take, to share some of that. Let's take a look through some of these uh, okay. slides here. This okay. is a PowerPoint presentation. And these are two of the books that I have uh, authored. And this is making uh, three of the most fundamental biodynamic preparations. Now up here in the upper left corner is the burial of cow horns that have been filled with cow manure from a lactating cow and put in a pit in an area where there was good soil and covered up from the end of September uh, all the way through April, basically. And that horn manure then is taken out and Usually, I think most people screen it and store it and use this a, a, a sort of a mild handful to treat a whole acre of soil to improve its fertility in its life. The, we still call it horn manure even when it comes out, but it has been transformed. Oh, it it's, is, yeah. it, it's been composted, but it's been what? It's not green manure anymore. Oh, no. Okay. But we still call it no, that. No, no. I just, the viewers but, don't know But that. if you analyzed its uh, protein content, it would have gone up. Okay. If you analyzed uh, several of its components, 
then there'll be some nitrate in it, but there will be some very complex carbon molecules that have incorporated nitrogen compounds into their molecular structure. So it is a transformed substance at this point. Oh, after yeah. The, See, it's, been in the earth. it's sat in that horn. If you held a horn up to your ear, you'd hear it resonating. And it does that in the soil. Okay. And it's absorbing then from... See, a, a cow's horn is actually, an, anatomically, it's reflecting the cow's energy back into the cow's system. Hmm. And there's a major artery in the horn. It's major. If you ever dehorn cattle, you saw off that horn and it squirts blood in great big gouts all over you. Yeah. Uh, it's a really bloody operation to dehorn mature cows. This sounds to me like the horn is a, another kind of rumination. You said it sends it yeah, back in. Yeah, see. Like cud and chewing cud. Is, that, is there any... Am oh, I, yeah. Well, the, the cows just got all the best digestive factors that, uh, you know, that the cosmic imagination ever came up with. It's remarkable, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is the... But, but now consider yeah. the nervous development of animals from the time of the amoebas and paramecia and so forth, uh, that, that they have been ingesting their food and developing sensory capability. Now that implies that digestion, which is your basic animal activity, is what makes you an animal, is that you can move around and pick and choose what you eat. And every animal does that. So the nervous development, the sensory development in animals parallels their digestive capacity, what they can do with their digestive processes. And you watch cows and they, boy, they are so smart about what they sniff and smell and decide to eat. They are real smart about it. They know much more than people know about these things. <laughs> <laughs> so we have this horn manure, we call it, and that's it's got a number, 500. Yeah, and, and so that's, that's sort of a, that, just a shorthand. We, we talk about polarities, and so that's one of the polar, main polarities. That's the animal polarity, see? More earthly. More digestive. Okay. Uh, more intelligent. On the other hand, the see, see, digestion is a transformative process. Mm -hmm. But there has to be a formative process occur before you can have a transformative process. You're going so to... animals eat plants. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so what can plants do? And so that's the other side of nature. 
what's happening in our summer growth of plants here in uh, Aspen, Colorado. You know, what happens in that summer season and what's going on with uh, the different substances in nature. Because if we perceive the vibratory side of nature, which is all around us, everything is vibrating. You know, your body is vibrating. The chair you're sitting in vibrates. Right. Everything's alive. Everything is alive. Everything is in a wave behavior. Now, that wave behavior is localized in your physical body. Yep. It's localized in the tree outside. It's localized in the building we're in and all the rest of these things. But quantum physics tells us more than that. Sure, it can be local and you can treat it as a particle. And it's a great way to do it. But, but you have to, to understand time. You have to have process. You have to have activity. That's the wave? And that's the wave. Yeah. There is no wave without a time. Yeah. And so processes take time. They're fourth dimensional. So if we learn to live in the vibrational world, which we live in, you know, you bump your head on uh, something overhead and you feel it. Mm -hmm. So Steiner in the Ag Lecture said, we have to understand what is earthly and what is cosmic is one way he puts it. So if we've got the earthly preparation that's bringing us fertility, the horn manure's fertility and quantity, right? You could say mother, mother earth. We have, what's the opposite? What's the other pole? Well, that, let's look at it. Because we this, need both let, things to run the engine, right? Let's look at this in mathematics. Okay. Uh, because there's a vertical axis and there's a horizontal axis. And you look at the geology out here, the siliceous rocks, the granite and the quartz and whatnot have pushed up out here in these mountains up through what was once a sedimentary layer. So that It used to be when the Appalachians were the only mountains on the continent that the sediments from the erosion of the Appalachians crossed this very area and ended up in Utah. As calcium. As the minerals that eroded out of the Appalachians. And they have the isotopic signature of that distribution of isotopes that identifies their origin. So this area here was once a very shallow inland ocean. Mm-hmm. And through maybe, that, through that yeah. came the Rockies. The yeah. Now, see, in the development of the Earth, now this is uh, this is present-day accepted scientific fact that there was a time before the Moon separated from the Earth. 
Steiner the moon has separated it. from the Earth Steiner mentioned at that, a past period of their Earth's evolution. Yeah. Now, that's kind of a riddle for modern science to explain, but it's clear from the demonstrable facts of the isotopic distribution of elements in the moon and the moon rocks and the earth and the earth's rocks that the moon is the only other body in the solar system with the same composition as the earth hmm. so it's real clear uh, NASA doesn't doesn't talk about it any other way really that the moon once separated from the earth and undoubtedly, if that's so, it had to separate out of the Pacific and the Atlantic split open and the Earth's been spreading around the Pacific Rim ever since. Something that, you know, I'm doing all these soil tests and looking at all this data that, and I have for years, even before I switched to this other type of test that measured the life, but even when I, we were measuring just the elements, nitrogen and phosphorus, potassium, and these other things, silica was never on the map. Well, it's, and it's definitely one of the on the geologist's map, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So geologists know that volcanoes are spitting out siliceous ash and siliceous basalt. Uh, the volcanoes are famous for blowing out silica. Well, there's silica in the air. There's silica in the finest particles in the air. They're almost entirely silica. So why is it that agriculture and agricultural sciences and all of those things don't talk about silica? Well, back in the day of Liebig, where our present-day chemical agriculture uh, got its start, then Liebig knew very well how to test for silica and tested plants for all of these elements, including silica. And there were times when the silica from uh, specimens of plants that were in adjacent fields that this tested eight or ten times higher in silica than this one. Mm -hmm. And this happened with a number of different elements, iron and um, manganese and so on and so forth. So what Liebig was faced with was how do I know whether this is absolutely essential or not? And his method was to exclude that element, copper or zinc or whatever, exclude it from the growing medium. So he could have his growing medium analyzed and show that he couldn't find that element in it. And then to see if the plants could grow in there and see what failed in the plant possibly and might see how that element is essential. But with silica, this uh, method was of no help at all because you couldn't exclude silica from the growing medium. On the drive up, you explained 
to me how silica, and I'm going to butcher this. You have to fix Go it. Go for now. it. But uh, uh, it's a matter of uh, cations and anions, and and silica silica's part in that. Can you explain that? Well, okay. In chemistry, your your chemistry comes from the resonance or dissonance of certain elements in the presence of others. This means positive and negative charge? Positive and negative charge are the basis of all of your chemical reactions. Okay. So uh, in chemistry this is called oxidation reduction. And every chemical reaction has an equilibrium in the oxidation and reduction counter-reaction. It's always a counter-reaction. It's going both directions. Okay. So, but there's an equilibrium point that might be way over towards the end product, or might be uh, rather close to the beginning product. Okay. Uh, so, give me the two negative and positives, and then how does silica relate in there? Well, the first anion, the first negatively charged element in the periodic table, is nitrogen. And so nitrogen is the most sensitive element. It's looking for three electrons to partner with. Searching. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's kind of... I wouldn't put it that it's picky, particularly. It's kind of hungry. But it, it finds itself more inclined to form a bond with another nitrogen and they each share three electrons. If it does that, that's really attractive to it mm -hmm. because it, it really, you know, other things are not as satisfying. It's like you held an image up to itself and they were both front to front and mirrors of each other. It's like nitrogen is narcissistic. That's what I was about to say. Yeah. So we got that, nitrogen, and nitrogen's in the air. Oh, it? yeah. Well, our air on this planet is roughly 78% nitrogen. And in the form it's in the air, it's pretty much of an inert gas. It's not like it can't react, and obviously because every living organism in nature requires nitrogen in its chemistry, then it works just in nature. Okay. You know, nature, nature has always known how to get nitrogen for living organisms. There's an irony here that industrial agriculture is physically uh, encouraging uh, applying synthetic nitrogen when hovering over the fields of all farms is this 79% nitrogen, right? That's, yeah, it, it, is, it is rather mind-boggling that our first priority in agricultural research has not been, at least not on a national basis, or international for that matter, that the first priority you would think would be 
finding out how nature gets nitrogen all it needs out of the atmosphere. It's just, <laughs> it's just a huge abundance there. It's the most abundant element on every farm. Yeah, but we're ignoring it. Now yeah. this is yeah, where... Yeah, we've got our backs turned to the, you know... It's the Five of Pentacles card in the tarot. The thing about this, I go to energy a little bit here, and the energy that we are looking for is all right here. If we would just relax and let nature work, we are putting a tremendous amount of effort and mining and drilling and finding these external energy forces to create something that is really beautifully really right here. Well, see, that's right. the beauty of these horn preparations. Right. Because that horn on the cow is reflecting the cow's ego back into the cow. Okay. And it's excreting those egoic factors in its manure. And this is why the cow is sacred in India, mm -hmm. uh, that growing our food with that cow in the cycle provides the digestive support for optimizing our, like, brain and nervous system chemistry. That that would do more to feeding the human will than anything else we could do. We don't know specifically what those factors are in the chemistry of the soil or in the chemistry of the cow or whatever, but we can trace the process that's going on there and the cow is a far more intelligent eater than it is, uh, say, uh, it, you really see it in cows, they don't have an ego. They're not aware that they're aware. They're just aware. They're not trying to be more than what they are. Mm -hmm. But that's something that people do that without even question is they try to be more than what they are. They're aware <laughs> of themselves. Yeah. So wait a second. Now, we have the anions and nitrogen, yep. and that's that molecule <coughs> right that's calling for three what three electron electrons yeah. so then the opposite of that is a cation which is yeah well is that calcium uh, what is that? calcium has got two to share to, but it has extra right yeah it it would like to give those away you know say here i'll share this with you you know i don't i'm not interested in it I feel better if I, you know, let you use it. Right. So we have the one nitrogen looking for something, and we have the calcium wanting to give it away. Is this, could we say this is kind of the engine of life, or is, am I going too far too fast? Yeah. Uh, let's go back to hydrogen. Okay. Okay. Hydrogen is the source. So, I don't know, I'm sure I have that as part of this presentation, the importance of hydrogen. But 
hydrogen is, it has one proton and one electron, and if it gave up its electron, it wouldn't have any electrons. It would just be a lone proton. Okay. Now, there are such particles in the universe zipping around the universe at nearly the speed of light called cosmic ray particles. And these are generally uh, naked protons that are, you might say they're balanced by the electron shroud of the universe. They're swapping partners at the speed, nearly the speed of light. But in chemistry in the human body, for instance, at these temperatures and these conditions, then hydrogen bonding simply means that that hydrogen can swap partners because everything with an electron is its potential partner. It's associated with the electron shroud of the universe. So when you look at hydrogen's distribution, it's 98% of all the matter in the universe, roughly, and it's everywhere and in all things. Where's our friend silica fit in? Well, silica is a lot like hydrogen. See, hydrogen cannot work either as a cation or an anion unless it gets enough speed up to be a cation. So it's give a up is its... it a neutral or how would you Yeah, explain? it's it's in between, you know. Mm -hmm. The old periodic tables used to put hydrogen uh, stretch it all the way across to helium because it worked as both an anion and a cation, mm -hmm. either one. It couldn't actually turn loose of its electron unless it was really excited. So the other polarity that we work with as biodynamic farmers is with the silica. Yeah, and that's, that's unbiased, you might say. So silica's nonpolar. But so we, this is where we take and we grind up quartz crystals and, and get silica rocks that have a high silica content, and we'll put them in a horn, but we bury them on the polar opposite time, and we bury them in the spring, and we unearth them. And so we have the horn manure, right, is going through the winter yeah. celestial, so to speak, and the uh, silica is going through the summer celestials, and we have the two polarities. Yes, you do. But now, this may take a little explaining because uh, in biodynamics, there's a recognition of what's called the ether. And for the most part, the physicists have accepted that the Michelson and Morley experiments prove that there was no ether. 
But biodynamics is not talking about that kind of ether. Biodynamics is talking about a flow of organization. This is a life force? Yeah, you could call it life force. Okay. Because organization is the basis of life. And you can see, for instance, in the organization of moisture as clouds in the atmosphere, you can see this process at work in nature. There is a flow of organizational force occurring. You watch at sundown and sunrise these flocks of little birds that wheel through the atmosphere and they, they're taking an ether bath in the light ether. They're taking this at the time of day where the sun's rays are flowing through the lower atmosphere and they're taking a bath in the ether flow. They're excited about it. Yeah, this, right. is, this is like what, what stores up, the, makes them ready to sit on that wire all night <laughs> in the freezing cold mm -hmm. and wake up the next morning and take another ether bath before they get down to hunt, hunt you know, scratching and pecking. Is that true on the other side at sunset? Yeah, they do it before sunset and after sunrise yeah. when the sun is in the lower portion of the sky and the ether flow is run, running through the solar ecliptic. So I'm having some correspondence here. When I watch my dairy herd, for heat, they're more active in the morning and in the evening. Yeah. I don't know if there's something going on there. Oh, uh, there is. Yeah. Uh, you can be sure there's something going on there because whatever you see, you can be sure there's something going on there. Phenomenon, huh? Yeah. Well, pay attention because, look, IQ tests are all about measuring your powers of observation. And if you become a better observer, it raises your IQ. Hmm. So, horn manure and horn silica are, are two main they're, tools. They're polarities. Yeah. And the horn silica... Uh, I think of it in an energetic way. Mm -hmm. So I think of the silica force actually surrounding the plant in the summer and drawing the plant out of the soil. It's like it's raying into the plant in the daytime, but this is drawing the plant out of the soil. So along with this is my understanding is <coughs> that the earth inhales and exhales every night and day. So explain that just a little bit. Well, okay. Uh, you have to have 
to have stability and structure, you have to have balance. And so you have to have a structural material that can accept or can uh, provide electrons to its nearby partners and create a harmonious, like... Uh, a balance. Yeah, yeah, a, a living structure. Okay. This is the order you're talking about. Yeah, well, you have to have a framework of something that, that doesn't care whether it's positive or negative, that it can still work with it. And that's carbon, which has four electrons and is looking for four more. And silicon, which has four outer electrons and is looking for four more. And it's looking to share any way that they're, you know, that there's, they strike an agreement to share and it can build a stable structure. <clears throat> so In other words, framework of the chemistry uh, needs to be uh, carbon and silicon. So, probably my neighbors are pretty sure I'm the nut job down the road <coughs> these days. <laughs> but uh, they're also beginning to witness the evidence or the results and the food and flavor and other things and the health at the ranch. And I, uh, in that, we on the surface might look like we're using horns and crystals, which can be written off pretty easy. But in a sense, really what we're doing is taking these tools and looking out and diagnosing imbalances in our system, in, our, in the water, in the land, and in the plant life, and in the animals, and using the biodynamic preparations as tools to bring balance back and harmony back into the system. Would that be accurate? Yes, but let's think mathematically. Okay. What's happening on the silica axis is it's the vertical axis. Okay. Silica and carbon are working on the vertical axis. Silica is more stable than carbon. Yes. Uh, but Are there more to do with light? Can we say that too? Oh, yeah, 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 because the conduction of light, silica, uh, the conduction of electrons. This computer is a great example. Cell phones, all yeah, kinds yeah, of this is all silica solar panels, stuff all like silica. Yeah, we're, we're talking about silicon chips. Right. And we've learned how to build them. Okay. But and that's transmission of light, is that correct? Yeah, or transmission of electrons. Okay. You know, it's quantum electrodynamics. Okay. Whereas that's the, so that's the vertical. Yeah, now the the horn manure is the horizontal. Just think, in the summer things come up. Mhm. Mm in the winter they subside. Mhm. Mm mhm. So, here's this gesture in the summer that's going like this. In the winter, here's this gesture that's going like this. Right. 
And all of the activities of nature are conforming to that seasonal shift. You call that a rhythm or whatever? It is a rhythm. Yeah. Undeniably, it happens every year. Mm -hmm. uh, and it can happen with a fair bit of variance, too. Let's hang here with rhythm a little bit. <coughs> we talked about how daily and that the, uh, in the evening, the, the earth does what? Inhale? Yeah, in the, in the evening, the earth inhales. And in the daytime? It exhales. It exhales. And so exactly. there's a daily rhythm. Yep. And so you just explained an annual rhythm, and there's even monthly rhythms. And so part of I know what we've been doing, too, is paying attention to these rhythms when we apply things or when we do things, right? And that's another aspect of biodynamic farming. You know, I, uh, I became aware of astrology uh, as um, uh, the fact was I took, when I studied quantum physics, I also took astrophysics. And my faculty advisor said, what do you want to do that for? You know, it's for business majors they teach that course. And astrophysics. Yeah, astrophysics. Okay. You know, and it's an elective have, or something. Well, I could I if I took it it was definitely an elective. And I had so many electives already that I had been a senior for over a year. But I wasn't that close to graduation in anything. I just had lots of electives. So well, astrophysics. Yeah, I, so I took astrophysics, and I'm thinking about what we're learning about right ascension and declination and the computation of ephemerides and so on and so forth. Uh, I was thinking that that astronomy uh, didn't have anything to do with, you know, the horoscopes in the newspapers. I thought that that's those horoscopes were some sort of a con game. That's astrology. Astrology, yeah. I Different. thought astrology was uh, for people with weak minds and not enough things to do. <laughs> <laughs> but what they were doing is paying attention to the different characters or personalities, you might say, of the planets and of the constellations. Yeah, the significance of Jupiter or Venus. You know, what does it mean? What kind of activity or will occur in that, in that period? Mm -hmm. uh, because if you really did the mathematics and you looked at this ephemeride that predicts the positions of planets, there's very little variation between the uh, predicted path of that planet and its actual observed path. So those ephemerides are pretty accurate. And they have to be because, you know, it's the Naval Observatory that takes those 
that records those observations that generate the, the ephemerides for mariners, for people who navigate. So for the viewer, I want to keep bringing it back into that as we are farming biodynamically, we are taking clues or hints or uh, we are utilizing, trying to utilize these different rhythms to enhance the blossom of a flower and or the formation of fruit or the development or the root activity or leaf formation. Yeah, you've got, you, uh, once I realized that everything in the universe was coherent, everything in the universe was in a form of resonance. Then it got to where I, I'm thinking, well, these are you know these rules of quantum physics. Do they just apply to elementary particles? My professor said, no. If the universe is made up of these elementary particles, then it applies to every level of the universe. And I thought. Holy cow, astrology is valid. There's something to it. You, you can do this mathematically and predict things and you can see that certain kinds of configurations yield certain kinds of activities. So you can harvest that yeah, you, in the farming. You can, you can make a road map of what it means. Uh, Maria Thune's work did a lot of uh, experimentation, detailed, I mean, was she, did she plant a radish every hour of every day for years or something to watch the root stem or the root leaf and, right, development under these influences? Is that correct? There was uh, uh, a person that preceded her uh, called Lily Calisco. Right. Who... Uh, published a book in 1939, uh, published this book called Agriculture of Tomorrow. And this woman was, <laughs> wow, she, just my hat's off to her, physically what she accomplished. Every four hours, she took pans of, of supersaturated solution up and down this sort of well shaft that they had dug outside their, uh, their medical practice in Stuttgart. And she set them off in there and recorded the way they crystallized at different depths all the way down to 16 meters at different depths, you know. What's she and, measuring? What, is she, what she, is she measuring? She, she measured the, she took photographs too of the crystals of every batch. And these were salts of um, gold for the sun. Uh, copper for Venus, mercury for mercury, 
Silver moon. Silver for the moon. Um, iron for Mars, tin for Jupiter, right. and lead for Saturn. Okay. So she took those uh, alchemical metals and used them to make supersaturated solutions that she left on these shelves in this shaft uh, and, and climbing up and down and did this every four hours. Four. Four months at a time anyway. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and she recorded the results of this. And this is the monthly Capturing the oh, monthly yeah. rhythm. It was monthly and it was annually too. Okay. It was more than just per month. But uh, she did a number of experiments, quite a number of experiments with homeopathic potencies of these biodynamic preparations. And it was kind of a task that Rudolf Steiner set her to. And that he highly praised her work and it must have really inspired her because, man, she did superhuman research. Superhuman. Superhuman. It's, it's <laughs> like, you know, can you imagine every four hours? <laughs> you know, when do you sleep and how well do you sleep and so forth. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So... When she published that book, it kind of was so far ahead of its time. She should have won a Nobel Prize. But she, she basically just had people sort of scratch their heads like, what's this? They, in other words, they didn't understand how to apply it to the practical uses in farming. Well, she really demonstrated some fundamental, like, facts of nature. You know, in, when I studied chemistry, when we recrystallize something for, say, to get purity of it, then there would be times when we got big crystals that uh, actually didn't have that much weight. Mm-hmm. And then there would be time that we would get little tiny crystals, and those were our highest yields. And though that was a general rule, uh, we didn't know how to predict which kind we were going to get. Mm -hmm. And she plotted it along with her ephemeris. So she was plotting these things to see if copper did a different thing when Venus was prominent in the sky. Right. So this led to foundation for Maria's work, would you say? I'd, I'd say that Maria Thun probably got ins inspiration from it. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine otherwise. And Maria brought it down to earth, so to speak, so that we as farmers could say, oh, Here's that there are root days, leaf days, and flower days, and fruit days, things that certain alignments in the cosmos, I guess, and in or on the Earth's cycles, that would encourage us to maybe plant a root crop on a root time, or to plant a flower or a fruit 
crop during these beneficial rhythms. Is that, would you say that? Well, it's... I'm trying to bring it, it down of, to... It kind of uh, uh, runs into what your scientific standard is. Yeah. Uh, because uh, if you're... Hmm... Like, how do you pursue this for truth? When you have something that's really decisive, that the results are really clear, then that's acceptable proof. Mm -hmm. But when you have something that, uh, that's harder to quantify than that, then what do you do with it? Are you actually looking for the similarities and correspondences between things? Or are you just looking at single factor analysis? Uh, by single factor analysis, then there goes such things as the placebo effect. Mm -hmm. uh, when the mere fact of believing that you got the active medicine can have an effect on the patient's response and that a small percentage of people, maybe around 10% or whatever, would just get better from the idea that they were getting better. And that's really interesting. Why haven't <laughs> we investigated that? Yeah, yeah. If we're if if it has to be cut and dried that it's forty or fifty percent that you know before you take notice of it, and the placebo effect could be. Well, it, it could be very economical form of medicine. I think it's coming up. People are now recognizing the power of that in uh, healing. Yeah, just believing that you're getting well seems to influence getting well. Well, wouldn't that back up quantum mechanics uh, well, certainly ideas? It does. Sure, because what you look for is what you find. Yeah. And if that's what they're doing, if they're thinking that they're getting well, then they'll get well. Yeah. Yep, yep. Because this is, you know, this is what they're looking at. Mm -hmm. So in our work in agriculture, our attitude, our perceptions, our sense of things matters, right? Oh, yeah. If we think, if we think that something is working, then it's liable to work sure has a, an edge to it. This program is underwritten by Sustainable Settings, a nonprofit organization devoted to harvesting nature's intelligence in its research and demonstration of sustainable human settlement. Sustainable Settings is supported by volunteering, 
the sale of our organic farm products, and your tax-deductible donation. Call 970-963-6107 and visit us on the web at www.sustainablesettings.org. Oh, 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 oh.